Big Sisters of BC Lower Mainland presents Ignite Her Podcast, a podcast connecting you to a community of empowered women. Big Sisters of BC Lower Mainland is a nonprofit focused on providing meaningful mentorship for youth. We acknowledge that Big Sisters operates on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations, as well as the Semiamu First Nation, Katsi, and Kwantlen First Nation. We believe in and support the right and ability of Indigenous people to practice self-determination over their rightful land, cultures, and political and economic systems. This month's guest is Carissa Landicho. Flashback to May 2015, while contemplating whether to leave her hometown of Niagara Falls to move to Vancouver to attend UBC, she asks her volleyball coach and mentor, why should I do it? She responds with the unexpectedly life-changing question of, well, why not? Carissa brings this into every ounce of opportunity that comes her way, knowing that her fears of failure, rejection, and state of not being good enough will have no choice but to be confirmed if she were to not try at all. Now, a recent post-secondary graduate of kinesiology, she works as a movement coach at Restore Human and leading the advocacy pillar at the registered Canadian charity of Employ to Empower, bringing her lens of meeting people where they're at. Whether it be one's physical, emotional, mental, social, or financial health, Carissa leans on her personal experiences to help create opportunities for people to navigate their own personal journeys. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is episode 11 of Ignite Her Podcast, and we're super excited to have with us Carissa. Carissa, thanks for being on the podcast. How are you doing? I am, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am good. <laughs> I had to yeah. really think about it, let it set in. I was like, yeah, I'm looking at a, a blue sky right now, like outside my window. I was like, yeah. I vibe with it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's a Thursday, almost the weekend. So feeling like the weekend's coming, time to relax, chill out. Looking forward to that. How are you doing, Vanessa? Also doing well. I really appreciate that like pause, Carissa, because it's like sometimes we answer like so automatic with like, oh yeah, I'm good. Like everything's great. Yeah. But it's like taking that moment to be like, how am I? How am mm-hmm. I right now in the present? Right. So I appreciate that and makes me want to do the same. I think yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. Always excited to record an episode. So it puts me in a good mood. Yeah. So do you want to tell us about yourself and the work you do? We already heard your bio, but uh, we want to hear it from you. Tell us why you're so amazing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny, because I, I knew that this question was coming. But it's always, you know, it always takes takes me a second to really just reflect on that question of like, who am I? I remember having a joke with uh, my roommate when we were saying like, oh, the, the things that have shaped us who we are today. And it's people can have different views on it. They can think it's like, wow, it's so incredible how you've gone through this and this. But sometimes it's just, I'm just surviving. I'm just, I'm just like taking what life throws at me. I didn't ask for them to throw me these things. So I always like to like kind of open up with that. There's a lot of what has led to who I am today. It was quite a roller coaster. But in terms of what I do, I currently am a movement coach at Restore Human, as well as I am a the head of advocacy at Employed to Empower, which is a registered charity in Canada, and we specifically work or are based in the downtown east side. Tell us more. So you 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 know you talk about like life experiences that you've got through to take you to the place where you're at now, right? And the things that you've survived and are surviving now. So. What are some key life experiences uh, that you've had? It's interesting when I think about it as well as when you're when you're in it, you don't really re- recognize it. It's not until you've kind of moved through some of those emotions, moved through, moved out of those situations is when you can really reflect on like, wow, 
where I was really sucked. <laughs> Some of the key pieces, like growing up, there was initial kind of abuse that I had experienced, which led to my experiences with PTSD, depression, anxiety. And with my understanding now from like, you know, what I've learned through through school, through studying kinesiology and psychology, being able to not only understand it from psychological and scientific perspective of how all of these different kinds of experience can lead to the other other pieces. Um, some of the kind of pieces I, I can recall that really did shape who I am, the eating disorder that I struggle with throughout my teenage years, as well as temptations towards recklessness. As I had mentioned before in this podcast, I suffer through post-concussion syndrome now after I I'd gotten about five concussions in the span of eight months. And so it was a hard pill to swallow when I was only, I think, 18 at the time and really struggling, really struggling with my mental health. And of course, at that age, you're struggling with all these other things. People try to tell us that you're not struggling at that age. You're too young. I'm like, you are. <laughs> you're struggling with trying to figure out who you are. The reasons why we really lean on our peers is that's our first kind of experience to different perspectives, to people that understand us a little bit better outside of our parents, our family members. But in those times, I really did struggle with my mental health. But I think that really help shift. Honestly, the thing that really saved my life was 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 chasing joy. Um, and at that time, I didn't understand what that meant. Didn't know what that felt like, but I knew I was like, I want it. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but I want it. <laughs> um, so that's actually what encouraged me to switch out of the degree that I hated, that I just did to please my parents. My parents wanted me to be a doctor. So I went to engineering because I was like, you know, it's not doctor, but it's still nice of enough of a word <laughs> that they were like, yay. <laughs> but so after my first year, really experiencing, I don't even know how to describe it. I think that that was the that was the key. I really struggled to feel. I was just kind of moving, moving through and just trying to, to again, like I was saying, just to survive. That's not what I wanted life to be. I didn't want it to just be about surviving. I was on a plane from Vancouver to to Niagara Falls, where, where I'm from. And I remember I was talking to this woman who just, she had this vibrancy about her, especially about, you know, her job. She was really excited for, she was, I think she was flying to somewhere in the, somewhere in the States to work on this project that she was really excited about. And I remember something about that energy. I was like, oh, I don't know what it is, but I was like, I want that. (laughs) Whatever she's, (laughs) she's doing, I want it. Um, And then I asked her, like, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Like, how do you know what you're doing is like, no, what you want to be doing. In that moment, she was a graphic designer. But before that, she was in dentistry school. Yes, she's in dentistry school. And I remember saying, you know, I had a 4.0 GPA. I was lined up for, for different scholarships. And I was in my first year and I did a job shadow and I realized that I really didn't want to be a dentist. I was like, <laughs> that's super fair. <laughs> and then she told me how you know, she switched careers despite what everyone had said. But she obviously like several years later, she is loving what she's doing. And in that moment, I really realized I, was like, I have that much autonomy in my life that I can just switch everything. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of a, a constant theme in the past now seven years throughout my undergrad and what's led me to kind of my my job that I have today to amazing community that I have as well as just my my own mindset and my own comfort and my own body and my own skin is that really latching onto that personal autonomy that I can't have of of everything of my experiences of the things I do things I take on things I don't do as well as how I can look at certain situations. Our experiences 
shape our bias, which is super fair. But what really takes time and effort and practice is to be able to sit and challenge those those biases that we have. Why do we think that way? How can we think differently? Really being able to dive in that and seeing how much more that opens up the world. Going back a little bit to your life experiences at the beginning, you're sort of talking about when you're in it, you don't really recognize that that you're in it when you're experiencing like trauma or like a life of chaos, especially if you're a child, you're sort of like, this is normal. But you also have a very real sense that like, this is also totally not normal. This isn't how I want my life to be. Um, if you're experience, if you're in a traumatic situation, and that trauma can be so long lasting, that it can bleed into adulthood, like, and come out in sort of weird ways where you don't even realize that you have autonomy like you, or maybe you don't have the capacity to future plan because you're living in such like short-term chaos, have to deal with tomorrow, don't have time to even think about 10 years down the road. So are you finding that as you're like moving through like your adult life, that these things are sort of popping up and you're having to like deal with them? And then how are you sort of overcoming these tiny obstacles? First thing, the thing that really helped was a lot of therapy, different kinds of therapy. Something I'm really passionate about is a lot of people that would really benefit from services such as counseling and such therapy are usually the people that also can't afford it. And so I really did struggle with, you know, finding the right counselor because a lot of times the ones that are pro bono or the ones that are are funded aren't. I remember going through different kinds of counselors and different kinds of therapy and always like I would start to open up and they're saying, oh, like, that's not my specialty, but we can work on this. I was lucky enough for myself where you know, I was able to like really be able to like Use my, my, my anger and frustration around that and to continue to seek it out. But I know for for others, like, they might not be as, as fortunate. It really is important. Really important to find the one that works for you, to keep searching. It was something that you know I went back and forth. I would go into therapy and then I'd leave and then other things would come up and then I'd go back. Um, and I think just remembering that it isn't a linear process. I remember when first starting mental health journey, I used to think that I would have this visual of like, this is what being healed looks like. <laughs> and then I realized like, no, that's, it's just, even if you do heal through one thing, there's always going to be these life experiences that come up and that can you know trigger something from the past, but then it also can trigger something new. So I think to kind of answer your question, how I've been going, about through every day is kind of really adopting this patience. Of course, like taking everything that I've learned, the first thing always to give yourself that compassion, that permission to feel it. I always call it a shame tornado. I noticed that before people always say like, well, make sure you know, you see your, your thoughts, let it flow by and you know, no <laughs> judgment. Underneath all that, you want to judge it. <laughs> you want to feel it. You want to. And I noticed that before I would skip. I would try to skip all that. I try to get to the, the the Zen part of it. They're like, "Oh, it's okay. Then you know everything happens for a reason. You gotta go through the storm first. I spend some time to sit down with the thoughts, to to critique them, to question them. But in some other times, what I really do need is to hold myself and cry, <laughs> to <laughs> tell myself, you know, you're safe now. You're okay now. These people love you. You love you. You need those moments." to heal your younger self, um, to create, again, new memories, not only mentally, but physically. I remember there, there's this book, it's called Your Body uh, Keeps a Score. I haven't read it, but from that title, <laughs> uh, and from my understanding from kinesiology, I can, I can understand <laughs> that your, your body does hold on to these, these traumas from a physical standpoint. It remembers these things. To be able to be that for myself and be able to 
have compassion and again also being able to be your your tough love self around okay we're gonna be sad about this right now but we're also gonna remember how badass you are as well okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah there is a tendency to sort of like be I don't want to use the word competitive but it's the best word I can think of in this moment where I know that I do this it's like well my trauma is not as bad as so-and-so's trauma or this trauma that I've seen in the news or whatever therefore I'm not allowed to be angry upset in this moment or ever because at least I'm not dealing with that do you have do you experience that as well where you sort of like are your own worst enemy in the sense that like you're not even allowing yourself to feel it because you're Oh, yeah. <laughs> Having a lot of compassion for other people in their situation and sort of trying to check your privilege. But then it's this weird sort of like, how do you work this? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Whenever I think about that, I always think about think about technology, how how beautiful it is in terms of, you know, opportunities like this. We can connect with one another, share information. But then it's also very <laughs> dangerous where you can see so much of what's going on around us. I know there's the term called compassion fatigue, where you literally are tired because you're so compassionate and empathetic towards everything that's going around you. So of course, I let myself go through those motions of comparing the shame tunnel, gotten better at stopping the critic when they start to devalue um, and invalidate. (laughs) That is the hardest thing to do, especially when you're when you're in it. Because I don't know, I, I always try to no, I don't want to give it a name just in case someone has that name. <laughs> but just <laughs> shame. <laughs> you know how people try to say, like, shameful Susie. But like, no, 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 because then Susie listening. I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> so, but yeah, just- I, I feel bad for all the Karens out there. Like, that name is yeah. ruined forever, <laughs> right? <laughs> the Karens and the Chads. and oh. yeah. <laughs> You're also on your own team. That's the thing that I always forget most is, and that I have to, like, pull myself away. Is like, looking in my head, I'm like, why are you yelling at you? This is you. This is me. This is the only body I have, the only life that I will have. I mean, I don't know what comes after that. <laughs> but like, as of right now, I would have known. <laughs> and so I think kind of adding that humor for myself, because I know that that's kind of what I respond well to. As <laughs> mm-hmm. we're like, wait up, girl. In order for you to do all the amazing things you want to do outside in the world, for you to care for all the people that you want to care about, you need to take care of yourself first. You need to be there for you first before you can show up as your best version. Exactly. Yeah. Like that whole concept of like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like you need to you need to take care of you. Like you come first before you can take care of anyone else because if you're drained or you're not feeling good and you go out there you're not going to be your best self right like it's not it's not going to be helpful so we all we all need to take care of ourselves and then we take care of each other the phrase was like you know you you can't can't love others if you don't love yourself and i remember that that used to make me mad i was like yeah yeah, i can (laughs) (laughs) um i think another way of looking you know I, I do agree with that statement, but another way of looking at that I've experienced and that I'm still working through too is the importance of having that love towards yourself also allows you to feel that love from others because that, that was something I actually struggled with in the past. Friendships, relationships with even like family members is I still remember someone asked me, they're like, why don't you know how much I care about you? Or why can't you understand how much I care about you? Why don't you believe how much I care about? You? And that's where you know I can reflect on that now and really understand is that this block of me trying to be there for myself, but now I I wasn't even able to let anybody else in. And there was that contrast where I wanted it so badly. Like I wanted 
to feel that love from other people so badly. And it was there, but it felt like there was something that was blocking. The importance of having that love for yourself does Mm -hmm. more than just self-care and bubble baths and whatnot. (laughs) 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 More than that like surface level stuff. And and what I'm hearing from what you're saying is like you can't just like receive love. Like you you have to feel like you're worth it to actually feel it and to receive it. Right. Like I feel like that's that's like a common thing that comes up, right? It's like, am I worthy of receiving this love and the support from other people? And then you actually take it in. It's this the same thing when you're when you're growing up too, it's like, am I am I worthy? Do I matter? And that actually reminds me of one of these, one, this exercise, not even exercise. I don't like to call it an exercise. So my friends and I were, we love to, to really dive into the things that make us most vulnerable, that like really trying to address the things that we're shameful of, fearful of, and just kind of bring it to light. Because it makes it a little like bit a more scary. Fun Friday night activity. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, you should. You should we're, we're a great time. Yeah, <laughs> great time at parties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he challenged me and, and said like to fill in the blanks. She's like he said fill in the fill in the the rest of the sentence of I am worthy of love even when and I remember the thing that really stuck out for me and that's actually like also been something that I remind myself is you know I'm worthy of love even when I feel like I'm not worthy of love and that really just like I saw on your social media that you did a hashtag my cardboard movement which is that through employee to empower or is that a different sort of initiative so the cardboard project so that was from the first year um, and so now it is a kind of a regular event we had the third one last year online and we have the fourth one coming up um, and that's part of our advocacy pillar, which I'm, <laughs> which I actually lead now. <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of so, excited. what is the connection there? Can you just tell us about the sort of like why cardboard, what it's doing, what the sort mm, of yeah. uh, main goal of the initiative is? Cardboard Project is the is the event that really pulled me to Employed Empower about three about three four years ago. Very sentimental. So I'm really excited to share this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to say that Christina, the the founder, she she grew up um, she grew up in East Van. She had noticed that you know many people have a piece of cardboard with that. With that piece of cardboard, it speaks to a need. Never speaks to the individual story. So she went around um, the downtown East Side asking question, asking them, you know, what is something in your life that has shaped who you are today. And she asked for them to write on a piece of cardboard. She received about a hundred responses, and then she just had them, and she just sat with them. And she's like, "I don't know what to do with this now." <laughs> she's like, "Oh my goodness!" She's like, "Wow!" She's like, "These are amazing," because what she found was key themes of loss, of grief, of the need for human connection, of triumph, and that's where you know I really painted this picture and understanding that we're all connected through our vulnerabilities. No matter the economic status, we are humans that go through pain, that go through various life experiences that lead us to where we are today. It's not just you snap your fingers, oh, here I am. It's there's a lot, lot to it. And a lot another piece too, it's not just the dark. There's so much light, so much light everywhere. You just have to, you know, be open enough to see it. And so that's kind of where this led to the Carper Project, where now I have an opportunity for the downtown Eastside members to to storytell, to speak on their own behalf as an initiative for you know, shifting the stigma. That's one of the main shifts that we've taken for advocacy is actually it's uh, self-advocacy opportunities. Um, because what we really thought about were you know, trying to crack this code of how do we shift the stigma 
And one of the key pieces is allowing the individuals who experience it themselves to speak on their own behalf, to educate the broader community, and to just show the humanness. Um, and so that's what Carpet Project has now transformed into. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That, yeah, that's such a fantastic initiative. And honestly, just from spending this little bit of time with you already, I'm like, oh, it totally makes sense that you work in advocacy. Like totally, <laughs> totally makes sense because, you know, in you being so vulnerable with us and sharing your life experience too, like it really does um, break down the the stigma around talking about mental health and like life experiences, right? Like it's so important to do that. And I think that so many people out there can can relate to that and it really, it makes a huge difference. So yeah, it definitely makes sense to me that you are involved in in advocacy with uh, Employee to Empower and and through the other work that that you do too, right? So outside of your work with Employee to Empower, I know that you are a movement coach as well, and I, you know, I, I think I can rightly assume that that's because of your your life experiences, and it took you to this place where it's like you you are wanting to work with other people where they're at, right? I see, I'm seeing that come up a lot for you. Like you want to meet people where they're at and, and um, work towards their, their goals in terms of like movement or, or fitness and health and, and all those things. So can you, can you speak on that a little bit about that work? I'm just amazed. I was like, wow, you, you said that so well. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Wow. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's exactly that. And it's funny that you said that exact phrase and that's why I, really lit up is, you know, it's the importance of meeting people where they're at. It's going in with openness and curiosity rather than assumption, because it's the assumptions that really hinder us from really seeing that person to really navigating through and asking the right questions. That's the kind of key that I've really taken with me too, is being in the state of understanding that, you know, sometimes you, you don't know what you don't know. And especially when it comes to the person in front of you. And so to come curious is so important, whether it be through the work being done right now through um, through advocacy and employment power, but as well as as a movement coach, like my key that I always bring not only from the first session, but through all my sessions is curiosity, because whether it be, you know, from a physical standpoint, you know, I don't know what kind of pain they're feeling. I don't know what kind of you know, fatigue the room. I don't know what what their their limits are, or also their their capacity is, and so being able to really sit down with people, and that's why in the first intro session, um, we 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 ensure to ask, you know, what's what's your movement movement history? You know, what are you know the things that you enjoyed? What were the things that you used to do? What are the things you still do? Uh, why did you stop doing them? And really trying to understand this narrative that people have around their bodies. Because what is also important to learn within that is our narratives are so strong. Our narratives are what not only tell the story of how far we've come and where we've been, but they sometimes also show you know, where we are now and where we want to go versus where we think we're going. Being able to understand there's different narratives that people have around their bodies. Some will identify as a dancer, some football player, some a triathlete, but some as just some as a mover, a hiker, a gardener, or some people just want to be in their body. And so being able to understand what movement means to them and movement without the complexities of fitness and exercise, because sometimes fitness industry has done a really good job of really tainting those words <laughs> and, and making them kind of intimidating. 
And so being able to navigate through what, how people see their bodies is really important. A lot of our coaches at Restore Human kind of follow the same path where, you know, I, I, I used to be in the category of elite varsity athlete. I was also a powerlifter, but then I got a lot of injuries. I noticed my intentions around fitness were very much about how my body looked, competitiveness, and I had no regards to the enjoyment of it or even, you know, the pain that I was feeling. <laughs> I was like, no, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I, got, mm-hmm. I got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where, you know, I took a long time and still something that I, I work through through moving around it is understanding this narrative I have around my body, fitness in general, uh, and exercise, and really trying to reform my relationship to that. My my eating disorder was tied towards this sense of self-worth that was tied towards how my body looked, as well as how much work and effort I put into how my body looked. And of course, when it took me a long time. I think it was maybe the concussions, maybe it was the <laughs> the injuries, I started to question, you know, like, this isn't sustainable. I am 21. And (laughs) every time I do these things, I'm not enjoying them. And so flash forward to now working with uh, Restore Human, they've really helped kind of shift the way that I look at fitness and kind of is what brings us why it's a movement coach rather a fitness coach we have this um, kind of phrase that we go by is, you know, move as nature intended. The reasons why we have these amazing bodies that can jump and crawl and and fall but pick ourselves back up is to go through nature to be able to swim in our oceans be able to climb these mountains around us and without these bodies that we have too we wouldn't be able to transport ourselves from from house to house to see our friends to travel around the world our bodies do so much for us my favorite activities i love to if people is like we have these big like hanging ropes that we can attach to the logs in the studio so i'd get people to do rope swings and like <laughs> and we do like different obstacle courses so you can be jumping and crawling and hanging oh one of my favorite <laughs> favorite exercises as well is so my boss is from australia and so we have with our one of our kind of weights is we have big sandbags that range from 20 pounds to 80 pounds and so we created this exercise called alligator wrestling where you just get a bunch of sandbags and just throw them around and I'm just cheering them I'm like yeah get them get (laughs) and recognizing that movement is so fun and being able to see our bodies in a different light of just rather than just this this vessel that is for other people to look at but it's for us to do these incredible things this is something I still struggle with I (laughs) even though I'm a coach that you know teaches this this is something I still struggle in my own my own training practice is, okay, choosing the exercise that gets me super excited that I'm doing because I love it or the things that are going to make my body more resilient. Our, our kind of motto is like building humans to be strong, graceful, and resilient. And I think that's also another misconception around fitness is that we only, we're only building ourselves to be strong. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's important. Um, but then also the importance of being graceful. You know, when you're when you're, I always give the analogy when you're like, you're going to jump over a river. Not Okay, not a river. You're not going to jump over a river. Or jump over a puddle. <laughs> That's probably more accurate. You know, there's obviously, from a scientific perspective, there's force that you're generating to jump over. But when you're landing, you don't want to also be super heavy when you land. You want to be graceful. So it's be able to transition from strong and then graceful, but then also resilient. It's going to be impossible for you to avoid possibly rolling ankle, possibly falling. Our goals in life is just to, 
stop ourselves and prevent ourselves from anything bad happening to us mentally, physically, and whatnot, but is be able to ask ourselves, how resilient are we in those moments in terms of not only, all right, noticing that, all right, I've hurt myself, but can we build ourselves back up? Do we know the tools that we can to recover, to rest? Do we know when to say, all right, I need to, I need to slow down. Okay. I need to speed it back up. And so like, imagine your body has this, this spaceship. You want to be able to fly it, but you also want to know, you know what are the things that you need for, for nourishment from, again, emotional, mental, physical level is physical literacy is meeting people where they're at, seeing what they already know about their bodies, but then exploring and being curious about what are the things we don't know about our bodies? What are our fears? Can we kind of challenge them a little bit? Can we explore these fears and really being able to create positive movement experiences? That was beautiful. Like so, so well said. And it's like, I think it's really important that that we do shift our thinking around like fitness and exercise and and all these things because I think we all go through it, right? Where we think like, okay, we need – okay, if we're going to exercise, if we're going to be fit, we need to be like super fit and, and like keep like going and pushing. And if we can't make it up to that level, then what's even the point, right? And not looking at it from a perspective of like I am in this body and I need to move through the world and in order to do the things that I want to do – I need to take care of myself and make sure that I can move and 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 be graceful and and resilient like you said, right? Cuz you you think about the future when we're when we're older, like what is that going to look like, right? Like how are our bodies going to to move throughout the world the way that we we want them to. So I think that's that's so important and it like honestly it really reflects like the, the work that we're trying to do too, right? So like like I, like I work with with girls in non-binary youth and really trying to get them at a young age to look at movement as like not exercise, not going to the gym, not doing the things that you hate doing, but like find movement that really like you enjoy, like it has to be fun, right? So if that's like, if you're in to going to the gym, then great, sure, whatever, right? That's that's fine. But if you're not into that, then like, what are you into? Is it yoga? Is it swimming? Is it horseback riding? Is it dancing? Or is it hiking? Like what what is the thing that you love? Um, and go, go do that and do it for life, right? And, and just- take care of yourself and don't have it as, as punishment. And I think kind of the key thing that really want, want people to hear like from, from what you had just said too, is giving yourself that permission to do the things that you personally enjoy, not because other people are enjoying it, not because they told you you're going to enjoy it, but because what is the thing that you enjoy despite what everybody else says (laughs) (laughs) and to be able to, to do that, but also give yourself permission to do it, and to enjoy it and just not feel guilty that you're enjoying it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this has themes, this episode. It's like permission to like feel your vulnerabilities and feel your trauma and like, you know, have those moments and then also permission to move however you want and to be in the world however you want, which is great. Come as you are to permission to just be you. <laughs> and I think it sounds it sounds funny to hear to say, but also sometimes it really does resonate with us when you're like, I, I always have to catch myself. They're like, why am I, why do I feel like I need permission to feel these things, to do these things, to you know, shape shift and have this autonomy of my life? Like, think, yeah, that's another theme too, is this sense of personal of autonomy that we do do have. And of course, I always do want to check my privilege too, that, you know, sometimes you know, that isn't, isn't as accessible. There are things that will hinder us. Do you want to tell us a bit about some people in your life who've been your mentors and what sort of inspires you about them? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's been a few. Kathy Carter. <laughs> she was 
my volleyball coach and she was also my gym teacher and also my my rugby coach um and she was the one that indirectly but directly inspired me to move from Niagara Falls to Vancouver but I remember asking I don't even know what to call her now because I was a coach Carter I mean she was Miss Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I felt weird saying her name Kathy <laughs> I'm sorry Kathy um, <laughs> but asking her I'm like oh like why should I go like why should I even go and she said well why not and again, a simple question, but I was I was taken back. I was like, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, but you're very right. And so kind of that was that was something that really shapeshifted how I looked at every opportunity that came my way. And I think I kind of wrote that in my bio too, of how before I would I would allow fear, fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough stop me because I was like, Oh, it was it was easy to to work with what I know, to, you know, I'm good at this, I'll stay here. That was kind of the first light of, you know, challenge and vulnerability can be a good thing, can really shapeshift amazing opportunities. Um, and that fear of the unknown, you know, is is always going to be there. But it's, you know, you're not going to know what it is until you, you know, stick your, stick your, stick your body into it, stick your head into it. <laughs> and she was, she was a mentor in many different ways, but a lot of them were mostly indirect. I think it was just the, I was very fortunate enough to have this very positive female mentor who showed me a different way of looking at, she was one of my earliest kind of inspirations around how I see my physical body. She never back down in terms of thinking that she was weak because she's a female. No, she was always strong. She was always hard hitting. She always challenged any other male figures whether that be from a from a sports setting or whether it be from an academic setting and she she wasn't afraid she saw she saw no division there and that's why I always think about like being in university there was always this um, you know conversation around you know oh women in STEM and really highlighting like how amazing that is because there's not a lot of women in STEM and really highlighting like you're women woman women (laughs) and I remember just not thinking about it because I was like so okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) because I again I was fortunate enough to have these strong female role models in my youth. Look, look at all these strong females I got. <laughs> that's that's going to be me. <laughs> I was definitely fortunate. And I really see that now and how much that shape-shifted who I am. And it really shape-shifted my way of seeing how support is given, how help is given. That Of course, it's not always, you don't always have to help people fix things. You don't need to always give people advice. But it's also giving that person that trust, giving that person that support in a way where it's like, you know, I, I, I believe that you, that you got this and I'll be here throughout whatever that looks like. And having that trust in somebody, that belief in somebody is so, so, so important for not only is that, that really that feeling of feeling seen, the feelings of being validated and supported, but really just like allowing that person to really build their own self-empowerment. And then for, for Christina, she is the embodiment of being unapologetically you. I can get caught up in being this professional face or like this like always bubbly face or always blah, 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 all these different faces and hats that we hold for different kinds of groups. But Christina, she really embodies this consistency of, you know, I'm just going to show up as I am every quirk. You know, I'm going to own it. And she is she is many many, many different things in terms of her compassion, her drive. I've never seen someone have so much energy to do all the things on their to-do list. <laughs> I'm always amazed. I'm like... <laughs> and so, yeah, she is she is a workhorse. So, and that is both, both her and NK and as well as they're just people that 
really, despite fear, despite the obstacles, will just like look fear in the eye and just be like, mm, get out of my way. <laughs> I'm going to do it regardless. <laughs> Being able to really feel every part of it because that's what makes this wild <laughs> human experience is all of those different pieces. That is so great. I ask you our, our check-in question that we ask every guest. So now that you're at this place, what, you know, besides a recording of this podcast, what what would you say <laughs> to your 12-year-old self? Oh, oh, there's so many things. What you're going through is important and in terms of like the bad experiences the i would always say or i would want to say you know it's not your fault validate that it sucks <laughs> it sucks mm-hmm. i know you're trying to say it doesn't suck it sucks <laughs> <laughs> but also that there is so much life and light to be lived and you will get there you will you will get there i i'm proud of all the the efforts that you are putting in. beautiful beautiful thank you so much for sharing and like honestly being so vulnerable and open throughout this entire episode like it i kind of <laughs> love you you know thank you thank you where can people find you what what do you want to put out there into the world before before we let you go it's funny because that, that should be like the easiest question <laughs> um well i do i guess i have i have my my personal instagram people can follow that but if you really want to follow kind of where i put a lot of my passion into is through restore human we release a lot of just different articles about talking about our individual experiences, talking about, you know, different client stories and highlights. If you guys have interest in me, you can go to my go to my Instagram, go to my profile, but um, as well as uh, Employed Empower. Also started um, a podcast. It's called The Cardboard Project. Nice. Yeah. And cool. each episode, like I'm the host, but I'm kind of just like in the background. The whole goal and each ep- episode featuring uh, a different peer in the downtown east side. And so with each person kind of sharing their story, sharing their light and having the spotlight for themselves to now paint a new picture of the downtown east side. Yeah, if you want to get involved in uh, Employed Empower in any other way, you can you can email me, communityoutreach at employedempower.com. So Restore Human is just at Restore Human on Instagram. And then the Employed to Empower is... Employed Empower. Easy to remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very good. Awesome. And then, yeah, and then also my, my own. <laughs> What's that? Oh, at Carissa Landicho. Perfect. Also simple. Look at this. No one has to be yeah, like a... It's so easy. Yeah. Carissa one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like Restore Human van or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, if you want to find us... We are just Ignite Her Podcast on Instagram. And you can go and check out Big Sisters if you're interested in mentoring or finding more out about that at www.bigsisters.bc.ca. Thank you, Carissa, for being here. It was so amazing. Thank you for sharing your story and everything. Thank you so much to both of you. All right. We will talk to you next month. Bye.